Hello, hello everyone and welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. I am Alex and I'm joined again by Tucky. How are you doing, mate? I'm not too bad. How are you, bud? Not too bad at all. Um, my tone right now is about as happy as it's going to be. Um, I think the whole Palace fan base is feeling like a community of slapped asses at the moment. Um, <laughs> again, we'll get into the kind of malaise around the club and the sort of bad feeling at the moment and we'll really go into that in more detail. Um, but I think we'd be not, well, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't to talk about the Southampton game, right? Um, you know, the FA Cup was obviously such a big highlight from last season and certainly in in recent years gave me some of my best memories as a Palace fan and I'm sure the same is true for so many of you so um you know to sort of fall flat in the way we did and to flump at the first hurdle is you know a real contrast in comparison to what we saw last season um before we even go into the game itself I mean what's your general feeling around the cup this season I mean we I talked about it in the in the last episode about a kind of apathy on my part that I don't think is actually shared to be honest but how do you feel about the FA Cup? Was it as important or, you know, is there such pride at stake or is it something that we really should just not focus on this time? I feel like when there's so many games in a season and especially, you know, the club in 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 a situation it is right now with a rebuild and stuff like that, you see, you see the cup competitions as that chance to get into Europe, didn't you? So I feel like being an established Premier League team, it's, it's those t- types of opportunities that we have to take to get into Europe as like a route to Europe. So I was optimistic about it. Obviously, last year, being successful in a way um you you have a you have an optimism on it as well do you know what i mean like last year we had good old like we've got super pat vieira chance going and it was great vibes last year so no going into it this year i i had optimism so so. we we took it so seriously didn't we and it was such a big highlight as i say um you know it's obviously a big part of our history and we've, we've obviously you know, just fallen flat the final hurdle on a few occasions. And, um, you know, last season we were on the precipice of getting to that level. Um, I think given the kind of feel-good factor and, and the manner in which we won some of those games in that run, I think replicating that was always going to be a challenge. Um, but with a lot of perseverance, we did push through. And ultimately, yeah, um, it was a fantastic, fantastic run. Um, one we haven't seen for quite a few years now, not since the famous Pardew final, right? Um, yeah. But I think we were anything but dancing in, in a Pardew-esque fashion no. after what was... No. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, what, whatever that was. Again, I'm going to get. I'm gonna use that phrase a lot. We used it in the last episode, didn't we? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say whatever that was because um, Palace fell flat 2-1 against a very, very out-of-form Southampton side. Um, those of you that have been following Palace from some time will know the phrase uh, Charity FC is something that gets bandied around a lot and... You know, when you come into it and you look at the two sides, you see the form Southampton are in, you know, completely winless in the Premier League at that point under um, Nathan Jones. Um, really desperate in need of some kind of revitalisation. I think they'd only won in the in the Carabao Cup at that point. Um, it was, uh, frankly, you know, obviously it was Premier League opposition that has to be taken seriously. But there was a good feeling about this that, you know, we, we were we were easily conquerable. Sorry, they were easily conquerable, I should say. Although, as it happens, actually, I think we were pretty conquered ourselves. Um, just going into that game, um, I mean, what did you make of the lineup first and foremost? I mean, obviously, I think there's a big feel-good around the club in terms of um, the cup itself, as we've established. But there was also a lot of optimism about some of the changes. I mean, we saw Eduard returning and Hughes coming in for Jeff Schlupp, too. Well, I mean, there were both changes that we've been clamouring for for some time. So, you know, I, I think it's pretty hard to say there wasn't some optimism, right? How did you feel like, looking at the lineup? I think the the lineup looked more balanced than like you know most of the lineups this year. I think a lot of people have had a problem with Schlupp with the lack of um, like 
just like he doesn't progress with the ball as much as you probably want the midfielder that to, that's alongside the curator to do, if you get what I mean. So I think with Hughes coming in, we've what you know the games that Hughes have played. I think Palace players have no pa uh, Palace fans, my bad, haven't been left in distaste. You know he's he's normally put in a very good solid performance, and I think alongside the curator we just wanted someone that's a bit more stable, and I think Hughes offers that and. Um, like looking at it as well and stuff, one thing that I did want to bring up that was very peculiar to me is that we played Klein at left back. Normally, that's Joel Ward's job. Normally, we stick Joel Ward at left back. I think he looks much more comfortable there, and I did think that Klein looked very uncomfortable at left back. Um, but obviously, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But yeah, just the general lineup itself, I think, looked a bit more comfortable. Um, and I was much more pleased to see that it was a little bit more balanced, and it, it was players that probably should be playing. But the the only question that I had was why was Klein at left back and why wasn't Ward? Yeah, as you say, I mean it's it's kind of a better position to be in than normal because, you know, for a while it seems like the the starting lineups being put out in the Premier League were kind of square pegs in round holes in a lot of areas. So I think the fact that it's only really the fact that we have this left back conundrum that was causing issues is something that was a positive. Um, it was really good to see an out and out striker playing, and of course Edouard, um, fresh back into the starting lineup. Uh, well did exactly what he does best he got on the score sheet in impressive fashion um as we said we we expected palace to try and play dominant football and for the entire game we did have the majority of the possession as well so when you look at it on, on the wider view that's obviously something that's good to take away but um obviously that wasn't always the case and there were elements of falling flat um but again we'll get on to that um the actual first goal itself was pretty fantastic. Uh, Anderson pounces on a loose clearance to then uh, curl it up towards Wilfred Zaha, who lays it off pretty quickly to Edouard following a little bit of progressive play and then fires home fairly comfortably from a, from a moderate range. Um, what did you make of that goal? I think it was just shades of Palace last season. You know, at times this season we've lacked the press, um, lacked that intensity. I think that obviously has to do with, you know, the good old Gallagher's not there anymore. That's a thing that we should move on from and address, but obviously the owners seem like they don't want to at the moment. Um, but uh, no, I, I think MacArthur's missing as well, so that that's that lack of energy, isn't it, through the middle. And I think it was just nice to see... Um, a piece of play that was very reminiscent of last year and what we were doing very successfully, and that was that little press that Vieira's got in the middle of the pitch. You know, the ball gets picked up, goes through, and Edward slots it away, and it was just nice to see. And like, we've just missed that intensity. We addressed it. We addressed it in the last the last pod as well, and it's just that press is is gone. But it was nice to see that press being used then. I mean, like you say, I think that's again one of the really refreshing things about that goal. That there was uh, not just uh, a sort of work ethic behind it, not just the pressing, not just the intensity behind it, but also the kind of understanding as well that I think has been missing. Um, that Anderson-Wilf striker kind of situation is a pattern, whether it's Eduard Ormatata that we saw quite a bit last season. And I think that sort of link-up is um, a real model of what we need to get back to. Um, I'm quite interested because Vieira in the past has... I mean, he hasn't, he's not called anyone lazy, but he's implied that there's a lack of motivation in the squad at the moment that there's no one really challenging for certain positions, that there's the lack of depth is causing a, a kind of um, a dullness and a, and a lack of stoicism and, and a drive to improve. So Vieira is kind of leading from the front in terms of the noises he's making about his mentality, his vision and how the squad should be thinking, but it's not really filtering down anymore because, simply put, there are um, too few people for too many places. And um, I think it kind of crept up in a lot of ways in that game. Um 
But I think, you know, there are some positives to take going forward. I mean, even before we look at the Southampton goals and the actual game itself, I think as a brief aside, uh, Tyreek Mitchell will be returning for Chelsea, which is something that Vieira confirmed. So, you know, we're, we're going to get something back to our best in terms of the, the availability within the squad. But whether it actually gets reflected in the lineup remains to be seen. No, of course. Um, I just, I just wanted to quickly add to that as well. Is that I think Palace are one of the least, well, like in terms of squads, is one of the least like amount of players used. And obviously, the uh, we we yeah. are we yeah, we're the we're the worst in the league. Only sixteen players have started. No, exactly. I think with with Vieira struggling with with players, and if the competition thing is a problem, then I don't see why in games such as Fulham. Um, and, and that sort of similar game, why doesn't he then rotate players? Why doesn't he take players off and bring other players on and and almost use it as a bit of like, look, you're not doing anything because there's a lot of players that are sort of just walking around the pitch at the moment, especially in the last few games, that, you know, it's one of those ones, isn't it? It either kills their ego or it, it makes a player more feisty and makes a player want to be like, well, why did I get taken off? I want to try and do something. And that's something I've always questioned with him is is the subs are repetitive. They're always very repetitive. It's always normally a, a quick change in the midfield. And then in about the 80th minute, 75th minute, and we can go all the way back to Roy with this. Roy always struggled with this problem. He never made subs until the 70th or the 75th minute. And I think that's the pattern with Vieira at the moment is the subs are very similar. He doesn't trust his squad depth, which I personally think that, you know, with any sort of business or any life, like life situation, day-to-day situation, you have to deal with what you have. At, at your feet and what's there and what's available and I, I don't think he's using it to his full extent I think that there's a few players you know that uh, should have had a chance I think obviously Malcolm's out on loan uh, well he will be going out on loan he's got a quick little knock or something and then he's going to head off to the hall I think um, Liam Rosener said um, yeah. at times why didn't he get why, why, why didn't he you know there's a couple of times he come on and obviously he got smothered with the ball and sort of stuff like that but just going back to the point of uh, you know the squad being small and that we need the positions to be addressed uh, there are a few players that um, aren't being used and obviously I highlighted in the last podcast that Jairo is one of them and he's a versatile player he plays in different positions Malcolm should maybe be getting some game time I think substitutions need to come earlier um but yeah, I just wanted to address that point because I think it's important that, you know, whereas positions he's addressing, I don't think the excuse of what's what he has available at him is a good enough excuse to sort of pattern around, you know, the season and how it's gone so far. I actually think that the lack of um, the ability to be able to trust and use his players is actually a, a, a problem within his game management. No, of course. I mean, Vieira has his problems as a manager and I obviously still rate him highly. I, I really am a firm believer that he's not the problem at this stage. No, of course, of course. You know, we're still building, aren't we? It's still a problem. We've had one, trans- well, two transfer windows. You know, the last one didn't exist, apparently. But th- we've had one major transfer window where we had to have a major remodel. And I think, what, we've got seven or eight players out of contract at the end of this summer, at, at the end of this year yeah. as well. So it- it's obviously not his fault. You know, you look at Chelsea, Pot- Potter is the same situation. He's got a group of players that aren't his players. And obviously, Chelsea have a lot more money to spend than us. They'll be they'll be fine. The situation will we'll, we'll boil over and it'll be fine. But it's the same with us that, you know, it's still it's still a project. I think a lot of people are getting caught up in the emotion of, oh, you know, things happen quickly at Palace. It's never, it's never, we're not used to actually just like sitting down and being there. We're either just sat at being mediocre or something happens very quickly. Like you have an FA Cup run out of nowhere or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And I think 
because we had such a positive season last year, people feel like we're falling back now. I think this falling back thing is going to be a theme throughout this episode, as is, you know, the kind of need for change or, or this kind of this whole like this, this idea of, of a wider crisis at the club. Um, I don't like to speak so dramatically, but I think there's a real sense, as I hinted at at the start of this podcast, that there is just a malaise, a slump from fans, a kind of apathy where we're kind of, for the first time in a while, actually, a bit out of tune with the club and we sort of just, you know, I mean, we were recording actually on the on the Friday night a couple of days before the Chelsea game and I think people, you know, Chelsea are out of form. Obviously, some people have tried to build this up as like, you know, could Palace do something here? But I, I, I think actual fans don't really care at this point. I think we're kind of like, yeah, it's Chelsea, we'll probably lose. We'll just kind of move on, you know. I think people have lost the oomph yeah. and I, I understand that. Yeah. And I think it's an apathy that... You know, obviously it's not related, related. I think, you know, it's not like the fans are making the players this way. But the players are certainly making the fans this way with their apathetic performances. You know, it, it's there is a relationship, um, it, even if it just flows one way there. Um, but I think, speaking of apathy, I think... Um, I think sloppiness cost Palace this FA Cup tie, and I think let's. I think it's important just to focus on the goals here because there's a, there's a much wider conversation yeah, we'll have yeah, about yeah, the yeah. club at large. I think that's the more pressing issue. Um, but I think we would again we would be not be doing our jobs if we if we didn't cover the goals at least. And I think um, no, of there's plenty course. to talk about for them. Um, take me through the first one. I mean. James Ward-Prowse, he's standing over a free kick. You're thinking, all right, he's he's the maestro of them. He's going to put in a good delivery, but he's like 35 yards out. You know, he's not he's not in a shooting position. I, I think the thing with Ward-Prowse is, you know, he's actually pretty much a guarantee at this point, and I'd probably say he's probably the best set-piece taker in the world. You know, shoot me if you want, but I honestly believe that that he puts the ball in in exactly where you'd want the ball to be put. Very rarely does he make a mistake. He's so deadly on the ball. He's, he, he, you know, it doesn't matter where he could be fifty yards out, mate, and I still reckon something would happen. And that's that's what scared me about this is, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, it's thirty-five yards out. My dad's like, oh, he's not going to do anything. The ball's going to go in and get cleared. But then, obviously, you know, we turn into the Looney Tunes, and a, a mistake is made, isn't it? And I think to address the goal as well, I think that there's two people at fault in this. I think obviously Ward, not so much. You know, he's trying to clear the ball. He doesn't quite reach it. It looks like he sort of like slouches down I don't know whether he hears anything but then it's also Guaita's positioning you know he came out and then thought against it and you can see him go back towards his line and I think it's that it's that decisiveness that's caught us up this season that uh, obviously was ultimately our downfall in, the, in that goal yeah we, we lost a great deal of understanding there and you know I, I think obviously it's between Ward and Guaita someone has to take responsibility for that but ultimately you know I understand Guaita in that situation because as a goalkeeper, he set up his wall pretty well. He's he, they've got that section covered, and there's obviously a, not just a belief, but generally we we do generally clear our lines. I mean, we, we've got better at set pieces this season, which is at least one area where I think we've seen progress, and that's both in front of goal and more importantly defending them. Um, still, lots of yeah. work to be done, and I think that goal highlighted it better than anything else. But you know, Ward kind of kind of ducks out the way last minute. He kind of completely missed missed times his interception and and just fumbles it completely, yeah. and then. You know, again, I think there's there's obviously a bit too much space that allows the ball to kind of just float in. But, um, you know, at least in this situation, I understand why Guaita feels assured that he can commit so far to his right-hand side because, you know, you expect your defenders to deal with it in that situation. So I'm not going to be harsh and say Guaita should have done better for that. I mean, 
I, I at least understand his rationale and I think there's a perfectly reasonable and human expectation here. You know, we all make mistakes and I think, you know, both Guaiter and Ward deserve a degree of sympathy, but no one will disagree with me when I say that it's still incredibly sloppy, particularly at the highest level of football, for the these two professionals to be making that kind of mistake. Um so obviously Southampton then equalised following Palace's frankly quite a good opener actually in terms of the team the team play and um we kind of have to feel hard done by you know we had a very dominant opening spell and generally controlled the ball and like I said we had 55% possession uh, throughout the game so um you know there was a sort of brand of football that was being re-implemented almost and and Vieira was able to kind of stamp this kind of uh, more progressive way of playing as we've been used to for the last few years so you know there were yeah. some positives to take from it and and you have to feel hard done by it. but then in the second half it felt quite flat didn't it yeah i think the you know i, I was uh, i was sitting there watching it and thinking right well he's he's put a completely different 11 out in the second half i don't know if you felt the same but it, it just felt like it almost it, it almost felt like the team talk at half time was like boys it's 1-0 just relax like do you get what i mean like it just it yeah it, it it felt like you know we went into the half thinking it was three nil two nil up you know we'll cruise the second half whatnot and then it was one nil and we came out and there was just <laughs> that intensity the press and everything just disappeared again and it, it was just like I struggled to find a, a, a reasoning for the lack of motivation we've had at times this season. Do you know what I mean? And Particularly I, I, compared I, to last season as well. Exactly, but I can't yeah. think... Like, we have younger players in the squad, so that could be a determining factor. You know, younger players tend to not cope with stressful situations as as good as, as much more experienced senior players. And obviously, last season, I think... Um, it was a similar situation, but there were a few more senior players, and they were there or thereabouts. Obviously, you had key figures like McCarthy and whatnot and stuff. But just like... Second half, I thought we come out, we, we were sort of flat-footed, fumbled on our face, and, and obviously that led to the first goal. So, I don't know. It, it's just it's super infuriating as a Palace fan at the moment. You know, it was such a contrast. I, I think it's you feel like you're taking one step forward as a club and then only to take two steps back. I mean, Exactly, yeah. I, I, I think, as I, as I always try and stress, I mean, I'm quite keen of, to take the long view. I'm still... You know, impressed at how far we've come since the Roy Hodgson era as a as a club, as a squad. But I think if we're actually to get to where we need to be, I think the ceiling is still far too high, and we're still far too far away from grappling it. Yeah. Um, I think it really showed, and you know, even with what looked like one of our better 11s, I think it was uh, really, really telling in terms of the lack of understanding and intensity in our play. Um, we've known for a long time, and as I've mentioned, that you know we're after an attacking brand of football. It requires pressing. It requires work. You don't just get better at passing the ball around and taking shots, and suddenly you're Man City. You know, there no, there exactly. is a there's a there's a there's an understanding both from a mental level in terms of um, the tactical side of it, and in terms of the physical stamina required to keep up that level of pressing, to keep up that level of focus and acuity. Like it, it goes all the way. You know, you can't half-ass something like that and expect to get the results that you're looking for. No, and it just feels like time after time, we are just kind of half-baking the approach that, that we're trying to strive for. Um, yeah. That's as much a personnel problem as it is a mentality one, I think. And um, we'll get on to personnel a little bit, actually, because I think um, the transfer window is obviously well into swing and it's it's still pretty flat from a Palace perspective, although there is some news in terms of outgoings, um, very minor ones, but we'll get on to that. Um I mean, let's talk about the second goal before we wrap up the Southampton segment here. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, there's a wider conversation to be had about goalkeeping, which is a nice segue in, but I think we need to talk about exactly what happened first, just just to remind everyone as to how embarrassing it was in terms of the concession. I just... We've, I think that there's a there's a big problem at the club with goalkeepers, and obviously you're going to go into the transfer segment, so we'll talk about Butland, so I'll leave this until then. But the second goal, it's, I think it's... Uh, it, it's <laughs> it's Guaita's season folded into one moment and it's the lack of being able to play football not not goalkeep you know not be a good yeah, guy true. the guy the guys if the guy didn't have good <laughs> if the guy did not have good hand eye coordination he'd probably be a farmer somewhere he has he has an incredible like and it's probably quite harsh he could probably play football better than i am do you know what i mean um, that sort of thing and most people but I think with the the way that Vieira wants to play, and obviously we're playing it around the back, it's a possession-style-based football, I think that one of the most important situations for us, and I think the club are glossing it over, is that we need a goalkeeper. We need a goalkeeper that can play football. Do you know what I mean? You look at top clubs these days, and yes, they have, they have top goalkeepers, but there's a common theme throughout them. They could all probably play outfield. You know, they're very confident with the ball at their feet. They're very confident about spraying a pass there, spraying a pass here. Do you know what I mean? Being under pressure, they'll make they'll make comfortable, sensible decisions. And I feel like Guaita lacks that. He lacks a sensible decision. And his sensible decision is if the ball's there, he'll just punch it away. And obviously, mm. I'd much rather the ball away from my goal than in my goal. But the point is, is, is with, with his feet, he lacks it. And I think that's what got caught up. I, I don't necessarily... It was just a horrendous touch by him. It was a very dead, flat touch got caught underneath his feet and then Armstrong capitalises on it do you know what I mean but I think it basically sums up his season for me personally so far the, and it, I think it highlights a massive problem for us and we'll go through it when we talk about transfers but it just it highlights massively the, the, the importance that we that we need a goalkeeper that can play football and can cope with being able to play with the ball the majority of the time rather than catching the ball I mean, of course, as you rightly say, Guaita gets completely dispossessed. He gets, um, he has his pants pulled down, frankly. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of Guaita I'm a, and the impact he's had if you take the long view, but obviously no, of I course, think... of course, of course, of course. No, I'm not saying disrespecting No, I don't want to discredit what he's done at the club. He's, been, he's probably been our best goalkeeper that we've ever had. Um, you know, no disrespect to Jules, but it's a different period of football and that sort of stuff. And, and Jules's situation with the club and the time he spent here, he was so vital to get into the club to where he is now. And I think that's what makes Jules a legend at the time. Not only, you know, he was a great goalkeeper, but I think V is probably, in terms of goalkeeper, goalkeeper, probably the most talented goalkeeper that we've had at the club. I don't know if you'd agree, but of course, yeah. Guaita at times has made some awesome saves. No, I mean, White has been fantastic. Jules has been brilliant. I mean, if you really go back, you're looking before my time. You're looking at John Jackson, God rest him. You're looking at Nigel Martin, you know, proud oh, yeah. and all the rest of it. No, I was um, alive, but... mate. I was still in my dad, so... <laughs> you were still in your dad. <laughs> yeah, take that as you will. Take it as you will. But yeah, no I, I was not alive. Um, yeah, I wasn't alive, bro. I wasn't alive. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're talking way back when. We, we've been blessed <laughs> with keepers over the years. If you really, if you, if you take take away all the the kind of quite just not good enough kind of stigma, like even just him, but it, he's part of a line of you know we've had some decent keepers at our time. No, yeah, I w- I would agree that we at the time you know I don't think we've ever really had a horrible keeper. You know, we've had keepers that have always been solid. Keep I mean, like I said, I was never, job. I was never a fan of the Hodgson era and his style. Of course, I don't think anyone was, frankly. No. Um, but when he had less onus on him to be good in possession, 
He yeah. was a better goalkeeper. Yeah, he suited that kind of tactical more. style, yeah, you know? Exactly, exactly. And and I think that's ultimately the, the kind of elephant in the room here. Yeah. We want to play the brand of football we want to play. Brilliant. I love the vision. I think we've got better players for it. You know, this isn't like a De Boer experiment. We actually have the foundations to do that. Brilliant. No, exactly, yeah. But that involves a keeper that can play out from the back, that can distribute reasonably well, that can be a sweeper keeper. You know, it's such a part of the modern game now. Yeah. And, you know, I do... I mean, Guaita is of an age where he was kind of called out of that generation that really got, got coached that way. And, you know, you can't teach an old dog's new tricks, right? He's, no, well, he's just on his no. birthday recently. He's 36 now. Yeah, and, you know, he, he's, he is getting on. His experience is fantastic. And some things don't go with that. You know, I think he's obviously... There's, there's some mental elements and some abilities to read the game that go in his favour. But when it comes to these the intense situations, as you say, I think he does tend to buckle a little bit. And... Um, either go for the safe option that turns out to concede more pressure or simply just makes the wrong decision, frankly, at all. And um, yeah. we really saw that. Um, you know, he didn't come for himself in glory. I'm sure he, he's his, I'm sure like a lot of professional footballers, he's his own biggest critic. So we don't need to pile it on. It was an awful, horrendous mistake and we can moan all day no, about course, it. But we have to move on from it, sadly. I'm sure he will. I'm sure we all will. But yeah. um, I think it exposed ultimately... Uh, a major tactical um, breakdown, frankly, in in the way we want to play, and I think highlighted a much wider issue about goalkeeping. Um, this is my little transfer segue. Um, obviously, we had quite a stacked goalkeeping department. We had four senior ones on the books, let alone uh, Owen Goodman and John, uh, not John, uh, Joe Whitworth coming through the academy. So, you yeah. know, we have a lot of good options, and we have a lot of potential too with uh, yeah. England youth experience. Obviously. Um, Remy Matthews rightly was shipped out to St Johnston. There was always a promise, but according to basically the club itself, that um, and I think this came straight from Vieira, that if he had the chance to play regular football, he'd be given that chance. He did. He's now played six out of eight of uh, St Johnston's most recent games and finally seems to have held down the number one goalkeeping spot there. Seems like he's having a decent season and, and good on him. I don't think there's much to say. You know, he's on the periphery and came in as a backup choice. Um if this is the thing that makes his career take off, great. Um, Jack Butland, obviously, is uh, we were kind of this kind of happened between recordings actually, but uh, he was shipped off on a six-month loan deal to Man United. He's out of contract in the summer, but the club does retain a one-year option on his deal. So there's every chance that whilst he might go in the summer, we might deliberately activate that just to get a nominal fee for him. Um, United need a backup keeper. They already have Tom Heaton, but obviously with Martin Dubravka being recalled, they wanted to have. Uh, three competent kind of first choice equivalent goalkeepers to compete with each other and I guess they see Jack Butland as a homegrown option right um what did you make of the decision to let him out on loan in the first place is it just something that makes good sporting or financial sense or do you think maybe he still had a role to play this season I think I think he had a very big role to play um for us started most of the cap games no um whenever he did play I don't think he ever had a bad game I always thought he was quite comfortable um, you know, he's obviously not a young man now. He's, he's quite a seasoned pro. Um, just a very peculiar um, transfer for me, to be honest. I think, obviously, we retain the one-year deal um, that, you know, we can get going, maybe get a transfer fee for him or just keep him here for another year or whatnot. But I think with the the injury doubts surrounding Johnston, I know he's making his way back and stuff like that, but it seems that he keeps, you know, in a way hurting himself somehow <laughs> um, I don't so, know the details on that one to be perfectly no, honest but of it, course he's still working his way back it's yeah. one of those ones where injury you know injuries looming around the goalkeeping situation you know you've got Guaita who's fully fit Johnson who seems to sort of get fit and then get unfit again 
I don't know how this happens. Um, and then obviously you've got Joe Whitworth. And I think we put a lot of faith into Joe Whitworth. Obviously, he's just been rewarded with a brand new contract. Um, which is great that you know we're really sort of trying to knuckle down on our own youth players as well um, and obviously we've got Owen Goodman as well another young keeper coming through who looks very promising did you um, know he could play for Canada by the way uh, uh, yeah yes I, I I come across this the other week and I was thinking oh okay all right that's cool um, but now go back to the issue of, of the key I think it's just a very peculiar um, situation because Obviously, Tom Heaton's 36, probably is going to retire maybe this year or next year. Is the plan that he comes in on a six-month loan now and chills about? Obviously, Butlin going there on a six-month loan. We activate the one-year deal and then they give us some money for him in the summer. Why wouldn't they activate it now? It's just it's a bit bit of a weird one because he's probably going to go there and just sit on the bench or, or and that sort of thing. Maybe play one or two games. What what would be the difference of you know? sitting on the bench for us is Johnston's injury not that far away is he going to come back obviously these are details that we don't know but you can only speculate as much that you know Johnston will obviously be back sooner than what everyone seems to think um, but no just just very peculiar for me I don't know about you yeah I mean I, I, I my understanding is that there and I don't know the exact figure um, I don't think that's out in the public domain anywhere but the understanding is that Palace received a generous or reasonably generous loan fee from United so I think it's deliberately open-ended. Basically, Palace are making... I mean, we didn't pay much for him. We paid about, I think it was one and a half million pounds for him. And I think that yeah, half a million... was a very nominal fee. It's really small from Stoke. Like, they wanted him off the wage bill more than anything else. So, you know, Palace are going to, you know, at least on the transfer fee, probably come close if you look at the money saved on wages and things like that to kind of make that kind of one and a half back. Like, you know, there's going to be um, a financial savviness about it, I'm sure. Whether, like you say, we activate it late in the win, like like before the window, and then uh, and then use that extension to leverage a bit of money from United, that remains to be seen. Whether they even yeah. want him to, at all, it remains to be seen. But I, I personally think that the plan is yeah to to wean out Tom Heaton and then eventually get Butland in as the kind of number two there on a longer term basis. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier in the pod actually before this segment about why he would leave at all, and I I think the answer is pretty simple. I think it's not game time; it's prestige. I think. There's some sort yeah. of plan for him there, and I think the chance to play for a club, even to be in the training ground and just <coughs> to be affiliated with a club as big as Manchester United, is yeah. understandable. You know, it's an opportunity yeah. where, if he's going to be on the bench, regardless, you might as well do it somewhere where you can always look back on your career and said, yeah, you know what, I, I did, uh, I did turn out for United. You know, and I'm sure he'll get more game time as uh, no, obviously as cups obviously. go on. I think I, I highlighted with you before we even started the pod as well is that yeah is it the transfer it, no is it the training facilities there is it the coaching you know obviously it would you would presume it'd be at a higher standard so you know that's probably the attractive option plus you know he's English he grew up here you know and every kid no matter who you support or whatnot dreams of playing for a Man United a, a Chelsea and Arsenal and whatnot so obviously that's mm. that's the attractive side of it so I don't really blame him if we did receive a nice loan fee then obviously I can see the financial sense behind it um but I just personally think it probably would have been better to keep him because um, I don't really trust Johnston because it's not as if he's exactly been the healthiest person since he's arrived. No, um, I mean, there's, there's, he, he put in a really good performance against Oxford in the Cup. and uh, But on the whole, I think he has struggled with niggling injuries. You know, nothing too serious, but enough that just as you think you might actually have a case here to say, look, Johnston should be competing here with Guaita for a starting role. Yeah. He then makes he then ends up being unavailable. Um, yeah. But I want to I want to ask the the kind of million dollar question here. Like, we've seen Sam Johnston's um, shot stopping ability. It's fantastic. You know, West Brom had an awful defence, even with a back five. 
and were facing shots left, right and centre. And even for a team as bad as that, he played his part at least in um, stabilising the ship at the back with uh, an incredibly high save percentage rate and some of the highest saves in the league that season. I think that was a couple of seasons ago now. Um, yeah. Actually, I take it back. It's probably three seasons now. This was this was the, the last Hodgson year. That is a long time. Anyway, do you remember that? 5-1, Gallagher scored. Yes, I do. I do remember that. It was a very good game. I yeah, very much enjoyed that. Much. Prime Benteke. Um, God, I miss that guy <laughs> around the club. Just, just well, around no, the club. No, to, address, to address that as well, that is that is someone that was high on the wage bill. We had to get him off the wage bill. But it's an important character that's no longer in, in the squad. And yeah, I think that no, that's, that's another character that could have impacted. One player that's... I now look at it and it's really bugging me. It's bugging me so much. Like... <laughs> It's so funny because I sit here and laugh. Is I have no idea why we didn't give Coyote another contract or, or at least offered him what he wanted because I, I assumed that it wasn't as much as what Forrest were going to give him. I think it was the attractiveness of being able to play first-team football there. What it was was the length of contract. So we, That's I think exactly the wages my, weren't an issue. We, we didn't exactly want to commit to two years, there. yeah. Yeah, is, is, is why not just commit to two years? He, he's a senior pro, you know. He does his job. He showed that he wasn't incapable of doing his job last season. Why not just give him that contract? You know, he's a senior pro. He's going to help young players. And I think that that's the balance that we haven't got right is we've shipped out too many senior pros. Obviously, to free up the wage bill, we needed to do that. We need to get we need to cut it down even more. You know, there's players that are on high wages that shouldn't be here. For example, Tomkins probably needs to move on. Luca needs to move on. And that's not because, you know, they're obviously poor performers. It's just the fact that their age is not relative to what the aim of the project is. And, uh, you know, they, they don't play enough. So, obviously, I get the logistics behind it, but... There are there are there's a certain amount, there's a certain time frame that you do it in, and I think that those are a couple of players that we probably let go a season too early. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I I still think lowering the average age of the squad is important, and you are I know you don't disagree with me on that, but at the same time, you have a point there. You know, I think when you have seasoned pros of a certain level of professionalism and experience, they do rub off on each other, and I think that strong core has kind of dissolved as time's gone on. Um, I think the new core is actually the the rebuild from last season when you have the likes of Gay and Anderson coming in. I I think you can put Eze in as well. I know I know he wasn't he wasn't part of a big transfer window, but he was the first sort of young signing that kind of kick marked a, a new approach in the window. And um, you know, I think when you look at that group as a whole, I think they're now forming the basis of the main core of the squad. And I think these kind of older pros are as much as they're involved, they're on the periphery. You know, you used to have the, this big core of you know. Your Martin Kellys, your Tompkins, your Wards. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of, they're, it's shrinking every year, you know. And I think, um, you know, that kind of core is is, uh, is shifting. So I, I think, you know, the personalities of the squad has been has been mixed up. And I think it's yeah. really interesting to see that maybe there is a mentality issue in the squad. Now, I don't think it's intentional laziness. I don't think it's a, a total lack of motivation. But I think it's more um, a lack of understanding. And I think a lack of impetus to change that at the moment um you know we're very set in our ways as a club in terms of how we want to evolve and adapt tactically and that's fine i think there's you know an element here of of stability that's required at such you know what was such a turbulent time last season but i can't help but feel that we're too inflexible now and we're not willing to try new things to accommodate the newest members of the squad and to try and get the best out of the team at large in terms of the personnel we're playing and also just the mindset I, i think we're too um Again, too rigid, we're not too open to change. I think um, there is a big problem in terms of adaptability throughout the club on on the pitch and behind the scenes that 
is kind of costing us games. It's it be, be that Vieira yeah. himself or, or a lack of ability to be dynamic or if it's the players that can't respond well to changing situations. You know, there's there's something that's starting to show in terms of our responsiveness and it is bugging me. It is bugging me. Um, I don't want to dwell on that because I think the big, big stuff to talk about um, in this final section of the pod really is uh, the window and what we need as a squad. Um, you know, we've obviously talked about a few, a few changes with the goalkeeping department and even just today we saw uh, John Kimani Garden uh, going on loan to Carlisle in League Two. All the best to him. We've got quite a few of our best youngsters now out on loan developing. Uh, Jezirin Raksaki is tearing it up at Charlton. Um, yeah. Even featured against United of all people for them. You know, it's a shame Jack Butland didn't face off against him because I, I, you know, I thought he had a fair chance to be honest. But, um, yeah. you know, obviously there's there's I think from a youth perspective, um, a lot of really good developmental loans at really good levels yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, that's been really impressive to see, and it's continued into this window. But I think the big issue here is 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 the senior squad, of course. You know, it's what's going to impact results. Um, I've gone on a bit, but you know, I'd like to see the likes of uh, Sam Johnston and Nathan Ferguson, even and Chris Richards coming back from injury and really competing, as well as the strikers coming back to the fore. Um, Will Hughes is obviously back in Vieira's thinking. I think made his first start of the season. Riedewald, bit of a lost character, but the point is there's there's a few issues in the squad and a few problem areas, and we need to address that. Um, the question on everyone's lips right now is Conor Gallagher. Um, he's kind of in and out of favour at Chelsea in what is a turbulent season for the Blues, and it's unclear as to whether Graham Potter even wants him or not at this point, but there's a lot of talk about, you know, could he become available this window, and should we move for him if so? Um, I'm going to just put it to you. And I think I'm going to break it down into two parts. I want your gut reaction first, and then your 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 like elaboration. So, just yeah. simple yes or no. Like, should we get him back if he becomes available? Um, yes. I think it's pretty much. I think it's a no-brainer unless there's another option that's cheaper, permanent. Do you get what I mean? Like, mm. I think. Football's a business. You have to be smart in business, otherwise you don't get anywhere. Um, if the you know the finances surrounding Connor coming back, yes, it's a good idea. But I think the possibility of Connor coming back is next to none. Um, I think uh, Chelsea want to uh, are offering or have offered Jorginho and Conte a new contract. Obviously, that might affect um, Connor's situation. Enzo Fernandez seems to have. Um, Swindled all the way down into the bin. That's not happening now. Uh, I don't know if you saw his little thing with the Benfica badge the other night. Mm. Um, tapping his chest and basically saying, look, I'm staying here. Um, no, I think the Connor situation, I think, is is a bemusing one because obviously there was a, a chance for us to sign um, So from Frankfurt in the summer. We didn't take that option up because obviously last minute Chelsea had gone, oh, well, maybe Connor might be able to go out and we threw all our eggs into one basket for that. And I think that ruined the transfer uh, window for us. So going to the actual point of, yes, yes, I would take Connor now. I think he is a vital member to this squad. He's a little rat of a footballer, you know. <laughs> the, good, te- the good kind te- of rat, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly that is that he's, he just runs, just runs, 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 runs. You know, he, he just, and that's what he does is he, he immediately, as soon as you put him into a starting 11, it just adds an injection of just urgency. And I think he wants to play football at a level of intensity that's much higher than most people. And I think if you have these types of characters in your squad, other people feed off of them. And I think 
I think this is a bit. So I just want to address this as well. You, you've asked me a question. I'll ask you. Is with Eze and Alise, I think the way that Wilf plays football, you know, they're young players. They're going to feed off of him. They're going to learn off of him. He's a seasoned pro now. You know, uh, uh, probably a very iconic Premier League player now as well. And um, I think the way that Wilf carries himself uh, on the football pitch, you know, it's very, it seems very laid back, very lazy. Uh, I don't know if you get that that Not from him, but I think a lot of a lot of Palace fans feel that Wilf could be doing a lot more. And and obviously his age, I think we all still look at Wilf as if he's a 22-year-old kid. He's not. He's 30 years old. <laughs> so I, I, that's something to take into consideration. I, I think that a lot of the times where he looks invisible or lazy is more to do with tactics or who we're playing against. Genuinely, I, I, do, I still think Zaha's got it. Um, I think his age. Oh, yeah. is... When he turns the burners on, he turns the burners on. Don't get like, don't get me wrong. You know, there's times where if Wilf is up for it, he's got that fire in him. It, it doesn't matter what fullback it is, he's gonna go past him because he's just got that. He oozes that quality, yeah. But I think that the what I'm trying to probably say is the intensity and the ferocity that he used to play at. I don't feel like this season has been there as much. Is that because, you know, yes, okay, they've said that Wilf isn't... Uh, Ornstein came out the other day and said that Wilf isn't going to make a decision until the end of the year. He's going to run his next six months out, blah, blah, blah. But is that question of where am I going to be in six months or where am I going to be in 12 months if you look at the start of the season? I feel like that's had an impact on on him this season and I feel like there's been too many performances where Wilf has disappeared. Yes, maybe through tactics, but I think there's... There's just that lack of anger when he's on the ball, if you get what I mean. Wilf used to get annoyed and then he'd take yeah. it out by saying, all right, well, I'm just going to ruin your day at, day at work now. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now it tends to be that he's a bit more shovey, a bit more pushy, a bit more in people's faces. And for me, I'm not a body language expert, but that seems someone that's genuinely frustrated, not just with football, but with probably something outside as well, or just the general football business in, in, in itself. So... It's interesting. I mean, I, I think I think we'll be at loggerheads on this, but I, I think there is an argument into what you're saying. I mean, my my watchword that was going to bounce off of yours was consistency. Um, I think one thing we will agree yeah. on is that um, he's not really. Last season was fantastic for him. Probably his best. I think it's safe to say, really, his best ever season um, yeah. in a Palace shirt. And you know, I I haven't seen that consistency in performance this season. And I I think a lot of it isn't really to do with him, but that's my own. Kind of no, take no, 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 no. I agree with it too. I think that obviously the lack of, um, like, just the lack of game management that Vieira's had and sort of stuff like that and willingness to change things or just stick with something, I think that obviously affects how a player plays as well. He's been a lot more um, isolated this season. I think that's really shocking. But obviously, we can't, we can't say Wilf had a great start to the season. So it's it's one of those ones where yeah. how where where did it go wrong? Did he have a great start to the season and and clubs started contacting him? Look, look, you're out of contract. In this, this is what I mean. These are the questions that I ask. Maybe other fans don't ask, but I sit there and I think that there's an external factor as to why Wilf has slowly dropped off. Obviously, the team performances have dropped off and whatnot and all that sort of. Well, they were never there, but <laughs> at times they were. But. I think that there's an external problem with Wilf, and I think that that's the question of, right, is this actually going to be his last year at Palace, or is he going to move in the summer, which I think the probability of him moving is much higher than him staying, unless we finish anywhere sort of in the top nine. Well, I think I think moving around from that, not even top nine, to be honest, I think it had to be European. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think maybe he has one eye on the exit door, <laughs> sure, but I think if there's one thing is for certain, it's he's at a stick or twist moment in his career. Tucky. that's the thing like 
if he's in his prime. He's had one of the best seasons he's ever had last in last season, and you know he's obviously wanted to play at the highest level for some time. He's made no qualms about that. He's made no attempts to hide it. He believes in himself as a top level footballer. You know, I'm not a fan of Graham Souness as punditry, but when he said that Real, Z- uh, Real Zaha, when he said that Wilf Zaha could play for Real Madrid, <laughs> when he said that he could play for Real Madrid, I, I don't think he ever said a truer word. I'm obviously have my biases, but you know, no, he, I think true. there's no other player in world football that comes close to kind of Neymar's style of play like he does, and I think he he's really in that mould of sort of a, a, a flair player and a trickster. Um, yeah. It's yeah. it's seconds are very yeah. few. Yeah. Put it that way. I wouldn't say none, but seconds are very few. And um, exactly. I think you no, know, exactly. as Palace fans, I think we're fairly resigned about the fact that you know we we're never going to be off, able to offer him Champions League football. And if he wants to go for that, then so be it. I've never felt you know we already pay him quite generously. I, I think you know, and don't quote me on this, but pay him about 125 grand a week or something. You know, we pay him big so wages. Up. It's somewhere very, very big wages, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think maybe, maybe he could earn more elsewhere, particularly on a free shore. But we're paying him a very competitive wage. He seems fairly happy with it, and I don't think ultimately, whether it's money or not, I, I don't think that's the biggest factor for him. I think at the end of the day, he knows he's only got, you know, the highest level only a few probably. And it, let's let's be generous. Let's say he's got five years of competitive football left in him at thirty. You know, he's retiring at thirty-five. You know, he, he wants to be able to hang up his boots yeah. with pride and say, I played in the Champions League. You know, I had a chance at winning a trophy, or perhaps even I won a trophy, depending on where he ends up, you know. I, I don't blame him for that. I think anyone yeah. with his ability is entitled to go and play at the level that, well, the best level that they can, the best level that they can achieve. Um, because, I, you know, as everyone has in their in their own careers, you know, no one wants to be in a situation with big regrets when they could have genuinely transformed their own, their own course, no, their own future. Course. And, and you know, no one wants to be able to look at them in the eyes and say, "Oh, they didn't take that. They didn't take that." And I think if Zaha did stay at Palace and extended his contract, I think even even I, as much as I would absolutely love that more than anything, um, as good as it would be for us, even I would wonder a bit. You know, what could have he achieved if he went to an ambitious club? Even if it's, even if he was just a squad player on the bench, you know, could he have won the the Copa del Rey or like La Liga title or something? You know. He- I, I I don't you know I don't expect him to seeing lifting the big ears that would be a hell of a I mean I'd love that but again probably won't happen but I, I always do wonder what he could achieve outside the palace and I think he's now in a position where he's good enough to show that in a way that was never really fleshed out when he went to United all those years ago so I, I, I think where, regardless of where he ends up I think Palace fans will always hold him in good regard but I can't see him staying for that reason I just think he, he has an ambition to, to see that out before he retires. I think he wants to play at that level. And um, Godspeed to him as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sure you're the same. No, of course. I, well, I, I, just just quickly add on that, just a very quick thing. He knows he's good enough to play at that level. And us Palace fans have known since since he came back and scored that goal against Newcastle away ever since really from that moment we know that he is good enough to play at that level his entire career like he's always been like that but he's always had loyalty to Palace either the project everything around it and stuff like that and I'm very grateful for that but the only thing that would really tee me off is if he went to another club that is in a similar situation as Palace you know I think that the only obviously I, I, I don't have a say in what he wants to do in his life whatever he wants to do crack on but I would be annoyed if he went to a club that wasn't in European places so I do agree that you know I only think that that next move is for European football but a question to you is 
how many clubs do you really think are in a position that are in Europe that would want to offer him a contract? Like, genuinely, because I think... Well, I, yeah, I, I only think there's two, and I'm going to say them now, is Tottenham is one of them. And then the next one is because they will be playing European football, whether or not everyone wants to admit it or not, is Newcastle. And then wow. to offer him a contract that, in That's interesting, because I, I, I have uh, two clubs as well, but in a different country. And oh, okay. one of them even has the same colours as one oh, of the okay. others. So, um, Barcelona and Newcastle, uh, not Newcastle, Juventus. But obviously, who have Newcastle sort of black and white about them, right? Um, oh, yeah. For me, those two, um, where to start? I mean, they're both cash-strapped, and I think that comes down to it. They, they love a free transfer. I think they have places in the squad for someone like him. Don't get me wrong, I think Newcastle would be improved by Zaha, yeah. but I think... Um, you'd obviously have to ask about Alanson Maximan and his future then and it raises too many questions and I think they'd be looking at a different sort of player in terms of age profile as well um, I think they're despite the money behind them I, yeah. I don't think they're going to just splash the cash in the way that Chelsea have under Todd Burley and, and so on I, I think Newcastle have had a very sensible transfer window yeah. they spent big on a few areas rather than spreading themselves too thin I think Sven Botman particularly when he was so coveted as well and it could easily have been playing European football. I think he's he's been one of the best. I mean, he's probably been the best left-sided centre-back in the league this season. And he's certainly one of the signings of the summer that goes under the radar. Yeah. I think he's been immense for them. Really transformed their defensive line. But yeah. when you actually look at that squad, Eddie Howe, and this is not a Newcastle podcast, Jesus Christ, but he's got the best out of, you know, Joel Linton, Callum Wilson, even Fabian Scher and people like this, you know. These aren't players that these are players that were still there before the takeover, before they got all this injection, who looked shit at times because they they were, you know, not being used to their potential and they've turned it around. And, you know, I, I, I think their project is not aligned with Zaha and where he is at his career and what he wants to do. I think Barcelona are gonna kind of do a hire and fire thing with free agents. I mean they're already looking to re offload Memphis to Pie and sort of re sign Aubameyang. That's another rumour that's going around. Um yeah, it's odd. crazy. Um Yeah, very odd. But you know, on the left wing I think he would add a lot of experience and flair and quality. Like I say, I think stylistically he has shades of Neymar. Yeah. I think it's something that they would benefit from. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think the kind of the kind of Barca short-termism that's come in at the moment is something that could be remedied by that. And, you know, as much as I think there's some questionable decision-making there, yeah. I think, you know, Xavi Hernandez has done a good job there. Um, he's kind of, I mean, certainly in La Liga, I mean, I haven't been following it too closely, but I'm aware that they've been pulling off good results and have, I think they're top of the league, I have to double check, but the they, point is Barcelona are having a, a fundamentally good season, even if things are shaky behind the scenes. And um, yeah, they were heavily linked with him and I, I'd love to see him in a different kind of red and blue if he does have to leave the, the really good red and blue. Um, yeah. That'd be yeah, brilliant. I, I, would, I, I would just love the calibre of Barcelona. <laughs> you know, it's like, maybe not so much now. It's just will for the Camp Nou in it. I think that's the attractive part of it. And I think, as anyone, obviously, yeah, it's the prestige of the club, isn't it? And then to have a, a youth product that is Palace through and through to play for a club like that, obviously. And I think the, the, the only closest thing that we really got to that is mm. is Victor Moses, isn't it? So, who unfortunately had to leave. Yeah, I mean, uh, can you imagine him being the Thornton Heath Messi? It's brilliant. I'd love that. 
it'd from be great. you know concrete it'd be catalonia great. to the real catalonia right i'd love that story from like you know the streets of south london from the palace academy all the way to barcelona i mean it would it would i think he deserves that caliber of club and again juventus um again yeah. very cash strapped kind of they're just shady at this point man like the stuff that's going on with the law there is yeah. i mean it's mental like those the sort of tax get arounds and all sorts of weird shit yeah. they've been doing in terms of how they pay their players wages I mean, genuinely, it, there's there's sort of, you know, creative accounting and then there's just straight up just fraud, <laughs> like it's mental. Um, don't sue us if you're listening, lawyers. Um, but yeah, we um, I, I would absolutely think that Juventus would also be a club that would be looking at him. Again, they have been linked in the press at times. Um, how reliable that is, I don't know. But I'm sure as, you know, the window goes on and I'm sure, particularly in the summer when he I inevitably, I'm sure, will leave as a free agent. Um you know, there'll obviously be more conversation yeah. about, and more, more, more reliable conversation in particular about his future. So, very interested to see where he ends up, and I just hope it's at the right level. Um, we've really dwelled on two big issues there. Um, the right back issue is still something we haven't really touched upon, but in the interest of time, I just want to keep it brief. Um, it's obviously a problem area at fullback, and we've talked a bit about in the past about like rehabilitating Chris Richards or Nathan Ferguson, but obviously, um, it's still an area we're looking at. We don't really have enough competition for Tyreek Mitchell either. Um, it's obviously an issue. I mean, do you think we'll get in anyone there this window, just briefly? I think the right back actually situation is is out of the two fullbacks is is the least of the problem. I think um, Chris Richards had played at Hoffenheim and played on the right right side of the back three, played on back three there, but had played on the the right side of a back three and played at times as right back. And I think he's comfortable in that position. He came on a couple times in that position, you know, the the very small amount of times he has played, but he has come on at right back and has done all right as fit in for the ten minutes, fifteen minutes that he had. So I actually think that that's not a problem because then if you look at it you've got ward klein and richards you know and ferguson when he comes back you never know how he could turn out he could be an absolute blinder of a player um he was great until he got his injuries well bruno um, really believes I just him think, well i i yeah yeah bruno does what a weird thing for him i mean he's probably got <laughs> yeah, a body I don't know why. or something jesus oh um, he definitely he's got a big giant six foot cardboard cutout I, I want one of those, but for Yalcom Anderson. So if you're listening, guys, my, my, my birthday, right? 6th of April. Get it in the diary. Start the tax year. Also, the start of you getting me Yalcom Anderson cutouts, all right? Send them in, lads. Um, yeah, I really no, want No, but I, I think... I think the left back is, is more of the problem. I think that we've just got Tyreek, and I think um, Tyreek got his England call up. Um, obviously, through uh, credibility, you know, I think Tyreek deserved that call up. Obviously, he was very fortunate through the injuries. Um, of other of, of of other players, but I think that he, the credibility of him being that next in line to be called up was well earned. Um, but I think that it, you know that was sort of the creme de la creme of a player's career, isn't it? Mm. Kind of, um, especially I'm sure Tyreek never thought he'd ever get a cap for England. Yeah, I mean, every kid dreams of it, right? It, it's like the pinnacle for some. Um, if I hadn't left the Mike Delaney Academy when I was seven, I would be there. But, you know, alas, here I am. <laughs> no, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think that that played a big part on his confidence. You know, I think that once you get to that level, um, then obviously you, you, you're going to relax, aren't you? Because, you know, you, you've been picked for England. You're the number one. There's no one, there's no one else that left back. Um, so... 
I think that, that that's what's playing on his mind at the time. And obviously, if you looked at a Tyreek that was there before his England call-up, it was a whole different player. A whole different player. There was so much hunger in him and everything like that. And I think he's lacked that at times when, when, when he's playing. So I think the left-back situation needs to be addressed more than the right-back situation. I think that we just need to get a competitive left-back in. And this is something that I wanted to raise with you, and it's something that's been bugging me, is um, the availability of Luca Digne. Now that's that's interesting. I don't know if you can link him reliably, but no. But Moreno has obviously gone gone to Villa. He's a very 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 good left back, very forward thinking and stuff. I'm very excited to see how he does at Villa. Obviously, I don't want Villa to succeed, but he's a very exciting player. And from what I've seen of him, he is very 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 forward thinking. And I think that's something that uh, you know Unai Emery has has said that he wants players that are forward thinking. Um, so. Obviously, the relationship with Luca Digne has fallen out. Publicly, it's been stated that he's not exactly the most likable member in the camp. But, however, there's a, we've, we're talking about experienced players that fit the profile, that can come in on a six-month loan with a permanent deal maybe there. you know. And apparently, the rumour is, is that Luca Digne is wanted out of the club. Um, or Augustine as well, their, their other left-back was apparently leaving, so I don't know if the two of them will go at the same time. Obviously, probably not, but I think the question of his availability should be asked because I think he'd be a perfect six-month loan. I think, you know, he's someone that um, is not a bad player. Luke Dinier is a great player, um, experienced player, and I think he'd provide great, great competition for Tyreek Mitchell. Yeah, Everton. He was phenomenal. Um, I used to when I was at Everton in his prime. I was uh, I was still a sports reporter at the time, so I, I did a lot of coverage of Everton. They were like my assigned team along with Celtic. So yeah. I got a real flavour for Evertonians. What they were like as a fan base, their concerns, made a lot of friends there. Like yeah. genuinely, I've got a lot of time for them as a club, and I know not everyone does, but I, I've got a soft spot for them. And I say soft, not really. I still think there's a lot of wankers in every club. Um, so sorry, Evertonians, I don't love you, love you. Yeah. But, um, you know, I still I, there's, there's obviously that controversial stuff last season. That was a hell of a game. Mental, that. Kicks who he wants, doesn't he, Vieira? Um, anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, Dina, I, I really rate him. I think, on, I mean, he was shit when he played us at home. But on his day, he, particularly offensively, he is, again, very forward-thinking. I think Moreno actually has a similar sort of profile, if I'm being brutally honest. So I can imagine there's probably some kind of disruption element there or yeah, and just a need yeah. for competition. So I, I don't know. If he is available, I'd take, definitely take him because he and Tyreek Mitchell are, are very different kinds of defenders. And I think having both actually is almost complementary because it gives you... Uh, not not just the depth, but actually a kind of a, a tactical decision to make. So there's a there's a kind of rotation argument. Um, but I'm going to end the pod with uh, something I don't normally do, but I've kind of on the spot come up with a little game. The game is really boring. Uh, it's not that boring. It is. It isn't. Let's find wait. out. Um, basically, I'm going to give you quick fire transfer like questions about what you think is going to happen this window. And the only rule. Okay. Okay. How many are there? Uh, just a few. Just a few. I haven't decided okay, yet. This okay, is this is re- okay, this is amazing go. planning on my part, right? Oh, okay. No, great. I, I can't, can't wait. wait. It's, it's so good, guys. Literally, <laughs> this is this is going to be better than cocaine. It's going to be so addictively oh, good to listen oh, to. Great. So so good. Um, basically, yeah. The only rule is that you can only answer yes or no questions. It's like guess who. You oh, know? Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you think we'll see Gallagher again in the future? No. No. Uh, do we have enough competition generally in the squad? Easy one. No. No. Uh, do you think we'll sign a right back this window? No. Do you think we'll sign at least a midfielder this window? No. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it now that I'm on the topic anyway. Do you think we're gonna sign anyone at all this window? Yes. Yes. That's interesting. Uh, I want to ask what position, but I I, I kind of break my own rules. Uh, oh, go on. Go. On. Probably a forward. 
and I, I reckon we'll sign a forward. I may look. It's been very, 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 very evident that we've wanted a, a forward. The Hadji Wright rumours, um, from my knowledge, are true, and that's something that has been in the works for a few weeks now. Um, you know, can't tell you where that's from, but. Um, that's something that's been in the works for a few weeks. There are a f- few other clubs that are interested in the situation as well, um, but yeah, that's that's a deal that's in in the few weeks. But there's no you know progression other than just talks. So there's no money being thrown about, nothing like that. But I do believe that that there'll be a signing. I don't necessarily think it'll be a right back. I think maybe a centre back, maybe a left back midfielders we probably won't touch until the summer unless that there's again a loan deal with a permanent attached to it that's financially attractive for us and i think in a in a market just after the world cup it's pretty much non-existent you know what i mean you, you you're trying to find a black ball in a black room so it, it's it's like oh well if you find it great you know awesome cool you found it but if you don't then it's kind of like oh well you had no chance anyway do you know what i mean so no, I think we'll sign a forward. I think, you know, it's a bit of a no-brainer. I think that Mateta's not exactly scoring goals. Not that he's had the opportunity to do it. Um, Edward, his build-up play is fantastic. He's great when he plays. Um, but I think there's a few things to iron out with him. And then I think the reluctancy to play Wilf down the middle is an issue. And I don't think Vieira wants to play Wilf down the middle. I don't think he should, frankly. I um, think he's better on the left anyway, but... No, I think he's better when he's just got a fullback to take on and he drags a couple players out and um, and, and leaves a little bit more space in the middle. I kind of like him as a left um, forward. And by that, I mean kind of a halfway between a striker and a kind of left winger where he kind of goes in that Yeah, pocket, no, you know? exactly. Where he cuts, cuts in, in yeah. a little bit more, yeah. That kind of, that kind of yeah, central so, um, danger zone, yeah. Um, no, yeah, listen, yeah. I, I, I could... Full, uh, forward and a, and a defender. That's right. I could, I could send off quick-fire questions all day, frankly. Um, but, you know... I'll fumble it or I'll run out of things to say. So let's not do that. Um, I would rather save our listeners' ears. But um, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for your comments. I think there's a lot of food for thought there. And I'm sure, to be honest, in future episodes, particularly the the Chelsea one up next, there's going to be just more of these discussions to be having. Um, Bruno will probably be back for that. And I'm hoping to get more people on. So I'd like to have a, a much wider discussion Um with uh, more talking heads about some of these issues because I think, I mean, Chelsea, I'm not expecting anything from, but obviously, who knows? It's Palace, right? Um, no. Better chat to no. Pat, you know, oh, if, you need a, if you need a usual, an unusual result or you need something uh, <laughs> yeah. to come and pick up your form, right? It's like, well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, look, look, I think the ultimate thing is it's very Palace that we'll go to Chelsea and we'll beat them 2-0. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's that's the thing is I'm sitting there thinking we've lost it. Everyone's going to think we've lost it. And then we'll go and beat them 2-0. And then that's just how Palace works. I think everybody agrees that is exactly how we work. We stink against teams that we should beat, but we're notoriously good against better teams. So, you know, that is what it is. But no, yeah, we definitely need to get more people on and get more opinions from everyone here and stuff and get engaging. Definitely. How's your right brace, guys? You heard it here first. Um, as I say, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Just scores them from Turkey. Palace is number 56. I don't know why I've picked that number. It's my favourite number, I guess, sure. I imagine, he, imagine he signs and is number 56 now. Oh. Who knows? Who knows? Who you owe me a pint if that happens. Anyway, um... Third time lucky. Uh, thank you very much for uh, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on, Tucky. Great hearing from you. Um, no, awesome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I enjoy it. No, good stuff. Um, I think that was quite a loose crisis talk about some of the issues at the club, but I think we'll go into more detail. Um, oh yeah, in the next no, episode. I'm crying internally, so 
don't worry. Oh, we're all we're all screaming internally. Oh, yeah, it's don't get I'm me wrong. My hair. <laughs> well, there's a kind of collective South London like mania going on at the moment where we're just kind of like, what the fuck is going on? You know, everyone's complaining. It's just, yeah, the apathy's in the air, and I'm hoping it's a it lasts no longer than a stale fart. But we'll see. <laughs> um, we'll see. We'll see. Well, as always, we'll be back again for the post-Chelsea lowdown, and I'm sure some of these issues will be raised properly and we can debate in more detail. But until then, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Tucky. Thank you very much for listening. If you love this podcast, please give it a share. Give it a five-star review. You can put whatever you like in the review. You know, you could say we'd, we should rather do the podcast underwater for all I care. Maybe it would sound better. In fact, it probably would. Um, we could try it. We could try it. I mean, <laughs> sure, fuck it. Um, we always, like I say, we're always trying to improve on this podcast. Um, yep, do whatever you want. The main thing is we are internally grateful for all your love and support. It's really meant the world to us, and we've grown pretty exponentially considering we're a fairly upstart Palace podcast where we're still finding our way, frankly. Um, we really try and improve every episode, and the prep's gone up and so on. You know, behind the scenes, we're working really hard to deliver this. So. Um, everything that you do counts and we're again really grateful for it um, but anyway that's it from me finally I'm kind of burnt out talking about Palace for once which I think sums things up quite nicely oh I'm never burnt out I'm, I could sit here all day and cry <laughs> console <laughs> each other console each other yeah look um, yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up now because I think we've droned on long enough about the state of the club yeah, yeah. but thank you again very much for listening everyone and of course we will see you in the next one bye for now